This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We turn to the Word of God this morning and continuing our new series in the book of Acts, we are in Acts chapter 2 today, beginning at verse 1 and working our way down through the passage to verse 41. So we're going to read that together now. Please get into the habit of having your Bible there with you on the coffee table or conservatory or wherever it is you find yourself. Open up the Bible, Acts chapter 2, and we read it together. For this is the Word of God. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show them wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Then all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. And we praise God as always for his precious word. When it comes to the day of Pentecost, there are many believers who would argue that it was the day that the church began. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It is the day where great things happened, and it is a day, some argue, that we need to see again. If the church in this day and age is to have any impact, any power, any might, then we need and must seek out another Pentecost. But I would humbly disagree with my brothers and sisters who believe these things. I do not argue that Pentecost was the church's birthday. I believe the church looks back to the very beginning where Adam and Eve were the first members of the church, covered by God's grace with coverings that the Lord gave them and made himself. So the church did not start in Pentecost, and nor can there be another Pentecost, no matter how much we might want them, because it is a unique and significant and never-to-be-repeated day in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. As we get into Acts chapter 2, it is the day of Pentecost, verse 1 tells us that. And the disciples were all together in one place. And as they were there, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and tongues of fire appeared to them and rested in each one of them. And suddenly these men were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. None of this should have surprised them. This was exactly what Jesus had promised. He told them to go and to do nothing until the gift of the Holy Spirit came. And so now the Spirit had come. Now it was time for their earthly ministry to begin. And what was going to happen? They would go and they would take the gospel with them. And this gospel would be proclaimed to the farthest corners of the earth. Today here in little old Balnehinch, we are sure evidence that this gospel work which began at the day of Pentecost continues to this day. We are far away from that place called Jerusalem and yet here we are preaching the gospel, sitting on to the word of God because God's promise is true. He would gather a people from every corner of the earth. Every tribe and nation and tongue and language would hear the gospel and many would receive it and believe it and be saved. So here at Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit comes according to the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Spirit comes, he enables these men, these apostles, to do something miraculous. And verse 4 tells us that they were able to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now the gift of tongues is a controversial one in this day, but I do not believe that it should be so. We meet it here in Acts chapter 2, and it is clear here in Acts chapter 2 that it is a gift of language. It is not a gift where the one who has experienced the gift of tongues babbles to himself. It is a personal, private prayer language, some will say. It is not a gift given to them where it is such a mysterious language that it cannot be interpreted. Here, the gift of tongues is a gift of known languages. And these men receive that gift. And we see its impact. Verse 5 comes and tells us that in Jerusalem at that time there were many Jews. They were devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the, the mighty rushing wind and the, the hubbub and the preaching of the gospel, they came together and they were bewildered because they were hearing these men speak in their own language. And Luke tells us that there are many in the, uh, Jerusalem in these days. There are Parthians and Medes and Elamites, verse 9, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Verse 11 tells us there were Jews and proselytes, that's those who had converted to Judaism. There were Christians and there were Arabians, and every single one of them was hearing the mighty works of God proclaimed in their own language. There's the gift of tongues. That's what the reality of it is, not the, the babble or the mysterious prayer private language of today. The gift of tongues is the ability given by God himself to speak in a language that you did not know before. And I believe it is a gift unique to the apostles and a gift that today has ceased. Here the gift of tongues was in full effect and these men preached the gospel in languages that they'd never known before and many were hearing the gospel and they were amazed and astonished as verse 7 tells us. And they asked the question, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Or in other words, are these guys not poor and lowly Galileans? Men who are thick as chump, men who we should not be hearing anything from and yet here they are, these backward Galileans, here they are, preaching in languages that they have no business to know. How is it that we hear each one of us, verse 8, in his own native language? How can this be? 
And so some believe, as verse 13 tells us, that these men, these apostles, were filled with wine. They were drunk. And out they had rolled out of some pub or some tavern or some corner, half cut and babbling and preaching because they were full of the wrong type of spirit. But that's not what had happened. The Holy Spirit had come as promised. And he had equipped and enabled these men to speak in foreign languages that they'd never known before. And he sends them out and they proclaim the gospel in the language of all of this crowd that had gathered. And suddenly the gospel is going forward. What's going on here? It isn't the birthday of the church. It's not a day that we nearly really need to strive for to see repeated in the church here in 2020. What's going on in the day of Pentecost is that the curse that has afflicted this world since the Tower of Babel is being reversed. Many of you will know that story back in Genesis chapter 11. In those days we're told by the Lord and his word, that the earth had one language and the same words. So far, so good. Everything would be wonderful, you would think. But of course, sinful humanity is sinful humanity. And so they use this unity, this language unity, this uh, unity of the same words, they use it for sin. And the people of the earth in Genesis 11 seek to use this unity and this gift of language to build a tower with its top in the clouds and they say that they want to do this to make a name for themselves. What's going on in Babel is that these men and women want to be like God. And they use this unity of language and purpose to strive to be like God. They want to take his place. That's sin, isn't it? At every turn, sin wants God off the throne. Sin shakes an angry fist at God and says, we don't want to listen to you. We don't want anything to do with you. We're the kings and queens of this castle. And if you don't believe in sin, well, I don't know what world you're looking at. It's only the other week that multitude in Argentina celebrated that abortion has now become legal in that land. They celebrated like the greatest thing that had ever happened in the world had just been passed by their government. What a fallen, harlot world we live in when such a day as that is celebrated as a great day. And we've already mentioned Washington, D.C. in this service. We will see this week perhaps a new president, and with it we may see more violence. Sin abounds in this world. Sin that is driven by political ideology. We see it here in Northern Ireland where many like to say for God and Ulster and on the other side of the coin, many say Chucky Arla. Sin. It's an old tragic tale. And we see it here in Genesis 11 where the people of the world with one language and the same words want to build a tower with its top in the clouds so that their name might be known. So what does God do as he pours out his judgment upon these people? In Genesis 11, verse 78, Moses, the author of Genesis, the author of the Pentateuch, tells us, the Lord scattered the people throughout the globe and he confused their speech. So today, if you were able to travel, which uh, you're not, but if you were able to travel to Spain, If you're able to travel to Argentina, as we've mentioned, if you could go to India or China or you pick a nation and get off the plane, you would find that unless somebody knew you who knew English, then then you would be speaking a foreign language and you would be hearing a foreign language. Speech would be confused. 
We see the impact of the fall and we see the impact of sin and the impact of Babel still in this world. But at Pentecost, the beginnings of the turning over of the curse of Babel is played out. The Lord comes. And even though all of these individuals who had gathered speak different languages, suddenly they hear the gospel in their own language. Suddenly they hear the good news of Jesus in their own tongue. And suddenly the world is put on notice that what Christ has accomplished at the cross, what Christ has accomplished with his empty tomb, suddenly he has ushered in the last days and now it is the time for the gospel to be preached to the ends of the earth and for all who hear it and receive it to be saved. That's Pentecost. Not the birthday of the church. That had taken place years and years and years before. And not a day that can be repeated, but a day that the gospel was preached in other languages and many, up to 3,000, received it by faith. But why Pentecost? Well, Pentecost means 50 days. And the day of Pentecost comes 50 days after the Passover. And it was a time that Jewish males all had to come up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. And if you want to know more about that, you can in Numbers 28 and verse 26. So they're there. They bring an offering to the Lord, the first fruits of the harvest. They come the day Pentecost has arrived. And they come. And suddenly the harvest that is beginning is a harvest of souls. Suddenly that the harvest that is taking place is a gospel harvest. These men hear the gospel in their own language. And some, as they always will, Reject it. Some, as they always will, laughed and mocked and scorned. And yet there were others who were amazed and perplexed and rejoiced in the gospel that they were hearing. My friends, we cannot expect another Pentecost. But what we do see is exactly this in every single day since. The gospel preached to the ends of the earth the Bible translated into other languages so that every man, woman, and child has God's word in their own tongue. And many rejecting it, many mocking, many scorning, many laughing, but still yet many coming to know Christ as their Savior. We live in the days of grace where still the Lord tarries and still anyone who comes to the Lord in repentance and faith will be saved. These men mocked and scorned. But what was beginning, what was taking place, is what Paul wrote about in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, you Gentiles, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 13. This is Pentecost. 
the gospel which had been declared in ethnic Israel in one little corner of the world and suddenly the same gospel was, was beginning to breach the borders of Israel. It would go to every corner. The apostles would take it. And although the scriptures are, are silent on what most of these men would do, we know from church history and tradition that most of these men would, would die deaths that would cause the hairs in the back of your neck to stand on end. They would go to many places, many, many miles away from Jerusalem and they would preach the gospel. And they wanted to see many saved and indeed many were saved. That was Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover, the first fruits of the harvest would be brought in. Fifty days since the Passover where the men and women of faith would bring their little lamb for sacrifice. Fifty days after the Passover where they would think about the blood of the lamb. Fifty days since these men and women would have seen Christ crucified. Fifty days and many are coming to know Christ as their saviour. Peter in those days, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and preached. It amazes me that God used and still uses the foolishness of preaching to bring about his purposes and his means. Peter stood and preached and he addressed the crowd who had gathered and he said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. It's about nine in the morning, says Peter. These men aren't drunk. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter quotes from the New Old Testament in this sermon. Beginning with Joel, he makes it clear that, that what you're seeing, what you're witnesses of, was proclaimed by Joel. In the last days, says the prophet Joel, it shall be that God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. The Lord makes it clear that Pentecost was not an accident. Pentecost was not something that had just happened by surprise, but it had been proclaimed and prophesied and predicted, and now the day had come that the Lord had sent his Holy Spirit, and the Spirit had equipped these men in power, and now they were prophesying and dreaming dreams and proclaiming the gospel. The day was fulfilled in their sight and in their hearing as this gospel was proclaimed in languages that the crowd could understand. And the Lord made it clear in that same passage in Joel, thinking further down the line to the day of the Lord, that before that day comes, he will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Pentecost, this, this day of, of great significance in the history of the church. Pentecost puts the world on notice that it is the last day. It is the last day. And a day is coming. The day of the Lord it is called. Where all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now immediately, 
You hear that and, and some of you will shrink from that. It sounds like the preacher preaching and thumping his pulpit and trying to scare you. But my friends, if you do not quake at the thought of the last day, if you do not quake at standing before the righteous Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a fool. The most foolish of all fools, if you think of the last day and hear it preached and, and want nothing to do with it and think it's just nonsense from some old preacher. Pentecost puts us all in notice. The day had come where many dreamed dreams and prophesied and preached and spoke in tongues and proclaimed the gospel. And a day will come accompanied by greater signs and wonders in the heavens above and on the earth below. The day will come when the Lord will return, the great and magnificent day. And know this, as verse 21 tells us, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can imagine Peter standing in this multitude, in this crowd, preaching this message. And in every corner of that gathered congregation, there will be men who heard the gospel in their own language. What a miraculous day when the Egyptians heard in their tongue and, and the others over here in this corner in their tongue and the ones up here in their tongue. But it was all the same message. That the day of the Lord is coming and the one who trusts in Christ will be saved. Peter preaches. It may be seen as foolishness. It may be seen as something that is to be tolerated only. I don't know if you like sermons or what you think makes a good sermon, but the truth be told, it is by the means of preaching that the Lord will gather his church from every corner of this earth and turn sinners to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is by the means of preaching that Peter stands here in this crowd. Let me ask you what it is that, that makes a good sermon. As I record this, there's a, a timer just up above me here on the screen. You can't see it, but I can see it. And it's at 1950, 51, 52, 53, what makes good preaching? Well, good preaching would have probably finished by now. Certainly no longer than another five minutes, certainly not ten minutes. Good preaching is short and to the point, we might say. And good preaching, we, we want to be entertained. We like a wee joke, we like a wee story, we, we want a wee smile. Good preaching is not too heavy. It's got to be light, it's got to be fluffy. We've all got our opinions, don't we, on what good preaching is and what it isn't. But I would suggest as we see this sermon preached by Peter, preached by Peter, I should say, all those years ago, it is a sermon that is absolutely full of Christ. In one of the devotions that I wrote this week, I put in a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon who says this about preaching. He says, I believe that those sermons which are fullest of Christ are the most likely to be blessed to the conversion of the hearers. Let your sermons be full of Christ from beginning to end, crammed full of the gospel. Preach Jesus Christ, brethren, always and everywhere. I don't know what church you go to. I don't know what fellowship you call your own. And I don't know what your attitude is to preaching. Maybe it's something that in this day and age of online services, it's much easier to deal with because you can hit pause 
and come back to it later or maybe just not bother. But my brothers and sisters, please, I beg you, do not despise preaching. It is by the word of God read and preached that the Lord will do his work on this earth. Anyone saved on the day of Pentecost was saved because they heard the word of God preached in his own language. And anyone that's ever been saved has been saved because the word has been preached and the spirit has worked and he has brought them to repentance and faith. It is by the means of the word preached, read, preached, studied in the local church that the church is built up and strengthened in their faith. Do not despise this gift. Do not despise the word read and the word preached. But when we return to live Sunday morning worship, I would urge you in your fellowships, wherever they may be, whatever your denominational tag, I would urge you to demand that every single sermon you hear is full of Christ. Every single sermon and every single inch full of Christ and the gospel. Peter knew that message long before Charles Haddon Spurgeon ever spoke. Peter got up and in verse 22 he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter takes these hearers back to Jesus and he says, think about Jesus, consider Jesus. It is Jesus who did amazing things. His message was accompanied by signs and wonders and mighty acts. And it was Jesus who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus was not uh, handed over to these wicked men by accident. This was part of God's plan. It was the Father's will to crush the Son for the sake of the sins of the the many who would be declared righteous. This was Jesus who was handed over, crucified and killed. But it was Jesus who, as Peter says in verse 24, was raised up. It was Jesus who was loosed from the pangs of death, for it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. And in verse 25, Peter, the preacher, takes these men and women back into the Old Testament. He gets them into the book of Psalms, and in Psalm chapter 16, we started our service with it, we prayed our way through it, and it was written by David, but it was all about Christ. Peter preaches in verse 25, David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. These words, this psalm written by David long ago was fulfilled in Christ. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. The New Testament is all about Jesus. And every sermon ever preached should be all about Jesus. For it is Jesus where we find our hope and we find our security and we find our refuge and we find our salvation. It is Jesus, the crucified yet risen Jesus. 
the Jesus who was placed in a tomb, but whose soul was not abandoned to Hades, and the Jesus who was placed in a tomb, but whose body did not see corruption. And it is the Jesus who even now is at the right hand of the Father, so that we may not be shaken. Jesus, never tire of hearing sermons about Christ. If your church preaches more about the issues of the day but doesn't mention Christ, then perhaps you need to look for another church. If the church preaches more about earthly wisdom and never mentions Christ, then perhaps you need to find another church. If your church is all about how to be a better husband, father, mother, brother, uncle, aunt, but never mentions Christ, then perhaps it's time to find another church. And I don't say that to cause division. I say it because if we are not preaching Christ and if we are not hearing about Christ and if we are not delighting in Christ, then what is the point? Peter preached Christ. Peter says, the day that Joel talked about is now being fulfilled. And the words of David in Psalm 16, well, that's about Jesus. And as Peter goes on, he says in verse 29, I, I say to you with confidence about David, about the patriarch David, that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And I have never been to Jerusalem, but I believe that you can still go and visit where they believe David's tomb is or was. But Jesus died and was buried, but rose again from the dead. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his own descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 31. This Jesus was raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. David's tomb, if they opened it that day, they would have found David's body, his remains, his bones. But if we knew where Christ's tomb was today, and if we went and opened it up, we would discover it to be empty. For Jesus Christ is alive. As verse 33 tells us, he is the one exalted at the right hand of God. It was Jesus who had received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and it is Jesus who has poured the Holy Spirit out upon his church and that's why these men and women that day were hearing the gospel in their own language. For verse 34 tells us it wasn't David who ascended into the heavens. We talked about the ascension last week. It wasn't David who said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That wasn't about David, it was about Christ. And so Peter preaches that he wants these individuals to be certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. The Jesus who they had crucified. Those listening to Peter's sermon, according to verse 37, were cut to the heart. And they responded to what they heard and they asked, Brothers, what shall we do? Quite often, the tragedy of preaching is that there is no response. Quite often, we hear the sermon and we're glad it's over 
and we get ourselves down the road and get the lunch on and get on with our business. Or we'll say things like, oh, there's no teaching in that church, I don't get anything out of it. But perhaps we don't even really try. When the word is read, and when the word is preached, it is certainly a good place to be to ask consistently, what shall I do? As someone who loves the Lord and I've heard his word read and I've heard it preached, what will I do about this? What will I pray about this? How will I listen to this? How will this word impact me in my life? What should I do? Quite often, I think, as Christians, as the church, we, we hear sermon after sermon, but never ever quite get to the place where we do anything about it. But in these days of trouble, may we ask that question. Lord, what would you have us do? Northern Ireland is not short of preachers. It is not short of men who stand and faithfully proclaim the word of God. But maybe we have grown too familiar and maybe familiarity breeds contempt and maybe we have grown tired of the ordinary means and preaching especially. In these days of distance and absence as we preach in the empty churches in front of cameras, may the Lord again give us a hunger for his word. A hunger for when we are sitting in places like this and when we hear the words, this is the word of God. May we tremble at the thought of it. May we tremble at the sound of it. And as it is read and as it is preached, may our response be, Lord, what would you have us do? At Pentecost, these individuals were cut to the heart. They heard the gospel preached in their own language. And the convicting of the Spirit, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit was much at work. For they asked, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And Peter continued in verse 40 and he urged them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And miraculously, amazingly, as the word was preached and the spirit worked, the Lord added to their number that day about 3,000 souls. Pentecost was not the church's birthday. And Pentecost is not a day that can be repeated. But it was a day where the curse of Babel was beginning to be overturned. A day that the gospel started to burst out of Jerusalem from the mouths of these Galileans of all people. And that glorious gospel would spread its way throughout the world and it continues to this day. 
And so wherever this imperfect sermon ends up, wherever you hear it, however you receive it, please understand that nothing has changed since the day of Pentecost. I continue to urge you to save yourself from this crooked generation. I continue to urge you to understand the danger you are in before a holy God. To understand that the day of the Lord is coming. To understand that the wrath of God burns against your sin. And I continue to urge you to receive Christ by faith. What should you do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Brothers and sisters. Today we rejoice at Pentecost. And today we rejoice that this good news continues to make its way to the far corners of this earth. But today as well, we long for that great day when Christ returns. And everyone who has ever been saved will stand again with one voice and sing the name of Jesus.